it's good to be with you again this morning. I've been gone like five of the last seven uh, Sundays, or not teaching at least. And so I was in Washington, D.C. and New York last week for a wedding of somebody that is in the church. And uh, I'll be teaching again next week. Uh, through the book of Esther. And so if you're not familiar with Esther, it's in the Old Testament, and I'd really encourage you to, to go ahead and read through it. Esther will be what we're in for the rest of 2019, and it'll take us up through Advent and to Christmas. And Esther's a fascinating book because it never once mentions God. Um, and sometimes we live in a culture where it feels as if God is not with us or our culture does not acknowledge God at all. And that's what the nation of Israel was experiencing in their exile throughout the story of Esther. And so I'm really excited to look at what does it look like for us as a church, a family, to follow Jesus together, even when our culture may completely ignore him or, or, or worse, reject and rebel against him. What does it look like for us to be in this journey together? So I'm excited uh, to, to jump into Esther with you beginning next week. Two other announcements for you uh, really quick. The first is that we're going to be having a worship night in November in just a, a couple of weeks. So November 14th, which that is what day of the week? Thursday. Thursday thank you. Uh, from 6.15 to 7.30 p.m. in this room. And so it is often said, and I wholeheartedly believe it, that what we believe about God, your concept of who God is, is the most important thing about you. It will drive your vocation. It will drive what your family life looks like, the health of your marriage. Every aspect of life is honestly and wholeheartedly, I believe, is driven by your concept of who God is. And so there's no greater way to soak in, to be overwhelmed by the goodness and love and faithfulness of our God other than to worship him. And there's power, as Nate talked about a couple weeks ago, of doing so in song. And so we're, we're really excited to spend this evening with you on Thursday, November 14th, praying and seeking our God. He hears our voice and then worshiping him so that he can hear ours as well because he alone is worthy of worship. So that's something you're not going to want to miss. Uh, Nate will be leading as well as Josh Stefanski will be back up uh, for that night. So I'm excited to have both of them and the, the band with them. It's going to be a really good night. Don't miss November 14th. And then lastly... Next Sunday, we're going to uh, be sharing a, a day of, Nate coined it, family, food, and football. And so after the first service and on through the, the second, we're going to be barbecuing. We'll smoke some meat, I think, and have hot dogs and, and burgers and all kinds of food. And then if you've not had the opportunity to see the studio, which is uh, through the, the glass garage door over there, we're going to open it up and put the Cardinals game on after the services and just have time to be together. We're, we'll put cornhole out and just have time to, to be a family. Oftentimes we come in and we go out, and maybe you're a part of a community here at the church, um, but there's probably a lot of people that you don't know even in this service, uh, let alone the second. So we just want to spend time together. We really believe that the church is a people who and not a place where. We want to be a people who spend time together beyond just this little box one hour a week. And so we're excited to, to spend time with you, and I like football, so it'll be good to eat, watch football, and, and spend time together. With that said, uh, I want to go ahead and invite my friend Randy Murphy up to the stage. Randy was with us about a month ago. Okay. And Randy is going to be kind of continuing this morning on the theme that we've had. We've looked uh, about a month ago. We started looking at Romans 12, chapter 1 and chapter 2, this idea of not being uh, conformed to the pattern of this age, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And Ron continued that theme a little bit last week, and so uh, Randy's going to dive into it Great. from a, a different perspective this morning. Thanks for being Super, with us. Super, thanks. Uh, 
I want to introduce you to Hank. Hank, as, as we'll call him, was a cranky guy. He didn't smile easily, and when he did, the smile often had kind of that cruel edge to it, coming usually at someone else's expense. He had a knack for discovering islands of bad news in the oceans of happiness. You know somebody like that? He, he would always find a cloud when others saw silver lining. He rarely affirmed anyone. Hank operated on the assumption that if you compliment someone, it might lead them to having a swelled head, so he worked hard to make sure everyone stayed humble. He was a minister of cranial downsizing. His native tongue was complaint. He carried judgment and disapproval the way a prisoner carries a ball and chain. Although he went to church his whole life, he was never unshackled. Sometimes Hank's joylessness ended in comedy, but more often it produced its sadness. His children did not know him. His son had a wonderful story about how he met his wife at a dance, but he never told his father because Hank didn't approve of dancing. Hank could not effectively love his wife or his children, anybody outside of his family. He critiqued and judged and complained, and his soul got a little smaller each year. Hank was not changing. He was once a cranky young guy, and he grew up to be a cranky old man. But even more troubling than his lack of change was the fact that nobody was surprised by it. No one seemed bothered by Hank's condition. Some expected that Hank would affirm certain religious beliefs, that he would attend the church services, read the Bible, support the church financially, pray regularly, and avoid certain sins. But here's what no one expected. No one expected that he would progressively become the way Jesus would be if he were in Hank's place. No one assumed that each year one would find in him a more compassionate, joyful, gracious, or winsome personality. No one anticipated that he was on his way of becoming a source of delight and courtesy who overflowed with rivers of living water. So no one was shocked when it didn't happen. Everyone would have been surprised if it had. Should we expect change? Should we expect that as believers, as people now living in a new story, the story of God, that by living in his story that somehow we should be different, that that should change us? See, here's the challenge. God loves you just the way you are. There's nothing you can do to get God to love you more or even love you less. He loves you just the way you are. But he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. He didn't save you just so you could continue to be you. He's not even just trying to make a better version of you. He's making a whole new you, a whole new creation. He's in the process of changing us, of growing us more into the image of Christ, making us more like Jesus to put that image of God that he created in us to shine more as we live in his story. 
Paul said it this way in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 3. I'm going I'm to share a lot of scriptures with you this morning. Too many to have put them all on the screen. Um, and sometimes I feel like I'm just going to be seeing some stuff that's so elementary and stuff that you've probably heard before. And Paul's going to tell us the same thing over and over. But you know why I know you need it? Because I know I need it. And I need to be reminded of the very things we're going to be talking about this morning. So here's, what, here's how Paul said it. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 3. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. And that's kind of a big word, sanctification, but we talk about it. It just really means to be set apart for a specific purpose. Often the word gets translated in your New Testament as holy. Be holy for I'm holy. That's the word sanctification here. It's to be set apart. See, God places us in his story and he sets us apart for the purpose of putting him on display. So we're to walk in a way that pleases God, and we're to be doing that more and more, Paul said. In Colossians 1, 9 through 10, he said it this way. And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you. And here's what he's praying for them. That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That you may be growing, see, in your understanding of who God is. Because as, as Landon said, what you think about God affects everything else. So he's praying that you'd be growing in this knowledge and understanding. For what purpose? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So here's the question. How does God change us? And I'm put this on the screen and leave it here for a long time because I want you to remember this. How does God change us? Coming to church doesn't change anybody. How does God change us? It's the Spirit of God through the Word of God in the context of the people of God. That's how God changes us. He wants us to grow and be more and more growing and producing more fruit. And this change that He's doing in our life, this is how He does it. It's the Spirit of God who changes us through the word of God, in the context of the people of God. So I want us to look first at, at God's role in this change process. What does God do? What is God's part in this changing of us? And that's what Landon hit on a couple of weeks ago in Romans 12, 2, where he says, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is and which is good and acceptable and perfect. So don't be conformed, don't be fashioned, don't be shaped into this. Okay, now what's interesting about this is being conformed, this being fashioned, it's something that's happening from the outside of us, and it's shaping us from the outside. The whole world system, the world's way of thinking is trying, to, is trying to mold us into something. Paul says, don't let that happen. 
Don't get molded and fashioned and shaped and conformed into how the world thinks. Instead, he says, we're to be being transformed. And that's really the best verb tense there. Be being transformed. It's an ongoing thing. It's something that happens, but it keeps happening, and it happens, and it keeps happening. The other interesting thing about this is that this be being transformed, the verb tense there is passive. That means it's being done to you. So he's saying, okay, don't let this world be doing something to you in this world system of thinking. Instead, you need to be being changed and transformed and reshaped by something else. So, so see, I, I can't transform myself. I, I'm to be being transformed. It, it's, it's something that the Spirit of God does to me. And it says we do that by the renewing of our mind. And that word renewing of your mind is really interesting. It's the word that we get metamorphous from. When you hear of metamorphous, what, what, what kind of comes to your mind? A butterfly. First thing came to my mind when I hear the word metamorphous. So you've got that caterpillar that's kind of this ugly looking little thing. And what happens through metamorphous? That butterfly starts moving around inside of there and all these things start happening and eventually, that shell of that caterpillar kind of just falls off, and all of a sudden, a wing pops out, and then another wing pops out, and the next thing you know, you've got a butterfly. That metamorphosis, it's a change. But you know what's interesting about that metamorphosis, even of a butterfly? It's not changing from the outside in. The change is taking place inside, and the butterfly is not changing himself at all. The butterfly has to work. The butterfly has to eat up that shell around him. The, the, that butterfly that's forming there has to work hard to get those wings out of there. But ultimately, he's not changing himself. You know what he's doing? He's just becoming what he already is inside, that caterpillar. God has already put his spirit in you and he's made us a new creation. And this transforming, this renewing of our mind is taking what's already inside of us that God's already done and it's now just allowing that to kind of strip off the exterior and display who we really are. That's the renewing of our mind. So God is in the process then of, of transforming us through his spirit. It's his spirit who transforms us as we renew our mind. And, and, and so God is doing this thing. That's his part in this change. But there's another factor going on. And Landon also referred to this a couple weeks ago. Satan is attempting to confuse us in this process. So God's got a part in this, but Satan's trying to get his hand in this too. He wants to have a part in this transformation. But he wants to transform us in a whole different direction than God does. He, his attempt is to deceive us with lies. And see, we've got to understand, we are in this spiritual battle. As God is changing us from the inside out, there's a battle raging against us that we're in the middle of. 
Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 10.3 like this. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. We're walking in the flesh here, but we're in this battle that's a spiritual battle. It's not a fleshly battle. So we've got to fight it in a totally different way. He goes on to say, we can't use fleshly weapons in this spiritual battle. They don't work. That's why Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We are in the middle of the spiritual battle. You know what? I wake up in the morning. I'm pretty oblivious to that. All I got to figure out is how I can get my day started here and get to all the duties and responsibilities in front of me. But the, the second I wake up, I'm in, the, I've just engaged, I'm in the middle and involved in a spiritual battle. And... It's a battle between God reshaping us through his spirit and Satan trying to reshape us. Look at his character. Satan, he's called the father of lies, the great deceiver. What is his goal? To rob, kill, and destroy. He's the great destroyer. And his strategy is simple. You will probably hear this from me a hundred times as I speak here. Um, But his strategy is so simple in our lives, you guys. All he wants you to do is to doubt God and depend on yourself. That's it. Doubt God. Doubt God. Depend on yourself. See, that's why Landon said earlier, the most important thing about you is what you think about God. That's what Satan's going to attack. He's going to go after that. You know, and, and here's how it happens. We spent yesterday afternoon with dear, dear friends of ours whose um, 21-year-old son had gone to a concert over in L.A., and there's a problem with his car, so he jacked his car up to work on it, and the car fell off the jack, fell on him, and crushed him. Devastating. Devastating. You know what the spiritual battle my friends are in the middle of and the battle I'm in the middle of? God's good. That doesn't feel very good. As we sat all yesterday afternoon with them, sobbing and weeping with them. How is this just? This doesn't seem right. 21 years old. Is God really fair? Is God good? You see how in those moments, we're really challenged with what do we really believe about God? And we see that battle when we're in the middle of a traumatic event like my friends are in the middle of. And we struggle with that at a different intensity. But that's the same struggle you're going to have tomorrow morning when you get out of bed and face your day. Am I going to really believe that God is who he says he is? And Satan is there at every corner to try to deceive you, to get you to doubt who God is. And if he can get you to doubt who God is, then you're going to depend on yourself to try to figure this thing out. And I guarantee you, that's going to go south really fast. Doubt God, depend on yourself. 
So that's a battle. And where does that battle take place? Where does this doubt God, depend on yourself battle take place? Right here in how I think. So our role in this changing process, in this renewing of our mind, is to change how we think. God is changing us from the inside out. We cooperate with him in this process by renewing our mind in how we think. It's a battle in our mind. Uh, could you put this picture up for us? Here it is. So see, in our mind, in our thinking, is either truth or lies, belief or unbelief, okay? Now, whatever I am turning to and believing, whether I'm believing the truth or I'm believing the lies, is going to affect everything. If I'm believing the truth, watch what happens. When I believe the truth, that's going to produce godly feelings, and it's also going to produce biblical actions. When I'm believing lies, that's going to produce ungodly feelings, and it's going to produce unbiblical actions. So if you see ungodly feelings in your life, or if you see unbiblical actions in your life, what does that tell you the problem really is? There's lies I'm believing somewhere. Because that's what's producing this. So see, if there's a problem with my doer or a problem with my feeler, the real problem's with my thinker. And that's where the battle is. Now, now watch what happens. When our mind is, is primarily dominated by lies, which is going to be an immature or a brand new believer... Um, uh, unfortunately, when God regenerates us, I still have all of these thoughts and these memories and, and, and all these thought patterns in my life. And, and so, as a new believer or an immature believer, my mind and my thinking is predominantly controlled by more lies than it is by truth. So, that means I'm probably going to be making decisions and, and actions that are less than what God would desire of me. And they're going to be more unbiblical than they are biblical. I'm going to have more ungodly feelings than I do godly feelings. More ungodly actions and behaviors than I do godly. Because it's the lies that are controlling what I do and how I feel. Okay, now, in the next scenario, if there's kind of an equal amount of belief and lies in my mind that I'm turning to, that means sometimes I go to the lies, sometimes I go to the belief and the truth. There's times I doubt. I'm in the middle of a trial, and I'm doubting that God is good. I'm doubting that God knows what he's doing. Well, sometimes I believe he does, other times I don't. James 1 calls that person an unstable man. Double-minded, see? I've got two things pulling at me at equal, equal ways. I'm a double-minded man. However, when we go now and we grow and mature and we allow truth of God's word become his knowledge to become wisdom, that begins to dominate and drive out the lies. So now that's a more mature believer where your life now is going to be dominated more by God's truth. And because of that, you're going to see more of who Jesus really is and what Jesus looks like begin to get lived out in how you live. That's where you start to see God producing more and more fruit in your life, as, as Paul described.
So this battle is in the mind. So what do I do? First uh, Peter 1, 13 says this. Prepare your minds for action. What's my part? I've got to prepare my mind for action. This word prepare there, the, the word is gird up your loins. Oh, that's interesting. What in the world does that mean? Gird up your loins for action. Well, the people Peter's writing to knew exactly what he meant. Because their, their dress was one of wearing more like long flowing gowns or robes. The men did that too. So if you're going to prepare for battle, you're going to prepare to do something that required action, what they would do is they'd take the bottom of their robe and they kind of twist it up, they'd wrap it up, and they'd stick it in their belt so they'd pull it up above their knees so they could run. It's really hard to run in a long flowing robe. So girding your loins for action, what they meant by that is grab that, get it tucked up in there, and now you're really ready to go. So he says, gird up the loins of your mind for action. Keep sober in spirit. Don't be distracted by all of these things that Satan's going to throw at you and these lies he's going to throw at you that are going to take you off course. Be sober. That's keep fixed on this. And what's interesting, he says, and then fix your hope completely on the grace of God. Why? Because, see, it's God who still changes me. I can gird my mind for action, but it's the Spirit of God who's going to really be transforming me. So I've got to prepare for the battle. Once I'm prepared, then I need to engage in the battle. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, Paul goes back to this. He says, we walk in the flesh. We're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We're in this battle. We're to prepare our mind for it. And now we're going to engage in the battle. And you know where we engage in the battle? At this area of strongholds. Now, now we don't really understand strongholds too well. Um, that, that word is just not one that we typically use. They understood it in their culture really, really well. See, if you were going to build a city that you wanted to be a power place that was fortified, the first thing you'd do is you'd build the city high on a hill. Because, see, then anybody that's going to attack you has got to come up the hill to get to you. The second thing you would do is you'd build a wall all around that city. The third thing you would do is on strategic places along the top of that wall, you would put a guard tower. Because, see, the guard towers then controlled everything. They could see if you're the enemy coming. When the enemy's coming, they could see how many soldiers are coming, what kind of equipment they have, where they plan to attack, what door they're going to try to break down. So if you're going to overthrow a city, you had to get to the guard tower, and you had to take those guards out. Because that guard tower is what controlled everything else. That word guard tower is the word stronghold. There's these things that have become strongholds in our mind that are controlling everything else that goes on. And we have got to destroy them. What are these strongholds? Well, he goes on to tell us. Verse 5. 2 Corinthians 10. We are destroying arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God. 
What's the stronghold that we've got to demolish? Lies about who God is. Everything gets back to what you think about God. We've got to destroy these arguments, it says, and to destroy them. Okay, how do we do that? How do we destroy them? This is just something we've done on the next slide here that uh, we put together to try to help us in this process. We call this renewing your mind. Five things here. Catch, confess, claim, force, repeat. Okay, how do I begin to renew my mind? I'm going to engage in this battle, and I'm going to destroy these arguments and pretenses. How do I practically do that Thursday afternoon at 2 o'clock? Well, here's what i got to do. i got to start by catching what is the sinful thought or attitude going on? And, and more pointedly, what, what is the lie about God right now that I, I'm tempted to believe? I've got to catch that. Because you know what? If I don't catch it, I just go on through life, la, 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 and that stronghold is still controlling me and I'm not even aware of it. I've got to catch the thought. <clears throat> okay, what's going on in my head? Second, I confess that to God. God, I'm really having a hard time right now believing that you're good. Forgive me, God, for not believing that you're good. You are good, even though things don't feel good right now. And I'm going to claim your spirit's power to believe that that's true and to, to trust you with this thing going on in my life, even though I don't understand it. Then I'm going to force my mind to, to change now from these attitudes and these sinful thoughts to thinking on what I know to be true. <clears throat> because it's these lies that have been a stronghold. I've got to demolish these lies against the, the understanding of who God is. And I've got to force my mind to think on what's true. Then you know what I have to do? I'm going to have to repeat that. Because this isn't a one and done. I mean, this is a battle that we're in. This is a challenge. You're going to have to go on and on on this, Okay. So that's how, do we, that's how we renew our mind. Okay, so, so what do we do? That sounds really good, doesn't it? But it doesn't seem to really be working all that well in my life. So what do I do to really engage in this process of cooperating with the Spirit of God who's trying to change me from the inside out? The first thing we have to do is this. We have to place ourselves in and under the Word of God. Okay? Let's go back to our first slide. How does God change us? It's the Spirit of God through the Word of God. I have to place myself in the Word of God and under the Word of God. In the Word of God, I just got to get in it. And then I have to submit to it and put myself under the Word of God. Second uh, Timothy 3.16 17 says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So there it is. God's changing us, and he's putting himself on display through these good works that he does in and through us. But what I have to do is I have to get into the word of God. It says the word of God is profitable for teaching. Teaching. That shows us what is right. Okay? It's profitable for reproof. That means the word shows us what's wrong. It's good for correction. It shows us how to get right. And it's good for training. That shows us how to stay right. So to see what's right, what's wrong, how to get right, and how to stay right, 
is all the work of the word of God in our life. That's why Psalmist said in Psalm 119, I've, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So here's my question. What's your attitude towards scripture? Listen to what the psalmist said. He said, the law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes wise the simple. It goes on and on to describe all these things about the word of God and the law of God. And then he sums it up by this in verse 10 of Psalm 19. It's more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. He saw that the word of God was to be more desired than gold. Wow. So just before we started, Landon says, anything else you need? Anything else you need? And so just kind of jokingly, I say, yeah, winning lottery ticket number. And, and you know, I, I live in Gilbert, and so every day when I drive down the 60, there's the big sign up there that shows how many millions of dollars are in the Mega Millions and how many are in the Powerball. And, you know, I drive by it, and I don't ignore it. And, you know, it's easy for my thoughts to think, well, what would happen if I got the $150 million? Well, of course, I would give 50% of it away. Right? And the other 50% I would use for ministry somehow. Yeah, right. It's, it's interesting how that just that sign can trigger your thoughts of what would I do if I had all that money, right? You do it too. I know you do. <laughs> do I think that about the Word of God? Do I just desire the Word of God more than I would winning the lottery? See, the, the Bible is a story of God revealing himself to us, revealing his love for us, all that he's done for us, and how he wants to change us from the inside out to put himself on display and to tell his story. So I, I've got to get myself in the word. Then last, I, I've got to think on the right things. Colossians 3 says this, set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth. Well, that sounds like some spiritual platitude. Set your mind on things above. What's he saying? You've got to think about the stuff that's really important. Because in the long run, all this stuff down here is just stuff. Are you investing in something that's going to outlive the stuff? Paul says, put on this new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. And then in Philippians 4, he says, Brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worth praise, think about these things. Wow. How far away are we from that? True, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. Excellence, worthy of praise. Just think if we took those words and use it as a filter. Okay, here they are again. True, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. What if we use those words as a filter to determine what we're going to watch on Netflix and Amazon Prime? Do you think it might change a few things? 
See how far away we are from setting our mind and thinking and dwelling on the right kinds of things? So we've got to get ourselves in and under the word. We've got to then think on the right thing. See, that last step, I've got to force my mind to think on what I know to be true about God and what is really important and what is true, honest, noble, of good report, all of those things. And then I have to gather with the right people. Here's why. We've got all these files that are are being flooded into our hard drive of our thinking. And and, and if we were a computer, see, what happens when God regenerates us is he gives us a new CPU, a new central processing unit. He gives us a new heart, right? We had a dead heart, a heart of stone that's now a heart of flesh, and we were dead, now we're alive. We got a new CPU. We don't just have a new CPU, we got a new power supply known as the Holy Spirit to run that CPU, problem is I got the same hard drive. And that hard drive has years of corrupt files and lies burned into it. And some of them are burned very, very deeply because they're connected with a lot of evil that people have done against you. And the degree of trauma that is associated with those events in your life is the degree that that corrupt file has been burned deeply into your thinking. And now all that thinking there is controlling how you feel and what you do. And I wish when God regenerated us, he grabbed that file, dragged it out, and put it right in the trash. But he doesn't. You know what he says we've got to do? We've got to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. I've got to overwrite that corrupt file with files of truth. And over a long enough period of time that there's more truth than there is lies. I've got to drive those lies out by putting files of truth in there. That's why I've got to be in the Word of God so regularly. But I also have to be around the people of God. Because it's the people of God who are going to help speak truth into my life as well. Colossians 3 says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. You see, when we come and gather to worship... We're singing to God, aren't we? But you know who else we're singing to? We're singing to one another psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We did that this morning. Look at the words. Um, we, we did it this morning. We, one of the songs we sang. Look at this. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than unbelief. When you were singing that, were you singing that to God? Yeah, but you know who else you were singing it to? Everybody else in this room. Look at the next verse. I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. I raise a hallelujah. Heaven comes to fight for me. You guys, we're not just here singing songs when we do that. Yes, we're adoring God and we're worshiping God, but you know what else we're We're singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. Wow. That's part of the process of renewing our mind. So here's my question. Are are you spending time in the Word? Man, if all you're getting out of Scripture is the few verses we read to you here on Sunday, you are going to be so anemic. You're you're not going to be getting files of truth overriding those files of lies. You know what's going to happen? Those lies are going to dominate your thinking. They're going to dominate your feelings. They're going to dominate your actions. Uh, what, what files are you filling your mind with? 
Are you spending time with other truth tellers? I mean, I, I've had to even start li- really valuing the music I listen to. I mean, I, I love all kinds of music. And music is neither moral or immoral in and of itself, okay? I love, you know, mowing my lawn to the eagles. And every once in a while, in a weak moment, I'll listen to some country music. So I'm listening the other day, and I'm going, okay, what am I filling my mind with? Daytime friends and nighttime lovers, hoping no one else discovers where we go and what we do in our secret hideaway. Whatever is true, pure, noble, of good report, what am I filling my mind with? What files am I writing into my thinking? Who's speaking truth into your life? See, you're not on this, in this thing alone. God put us together as a community to be speaking truth to one another and encouraging that. That's part of the process God wants to use to transform you. So what's controlling what you think? It's the Spirit of God who changes us through the Word of God as we place ourselves in and under the Word of God in the context of the people of God. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that you're in the process of changing us and you're changing us from the inside out. And God, it's you who changes us, but, but we have a responsibility in that as well to participate with your spirit and what you're doing. God, God, give us just a real a love for your word, even this week. One that would drive us to want to spend time with you and to, to see the bigger story of what you're all about as you reveal that through your word. And then, God, how you've placed us in this story to put you on display. May we be better image bearers this week because of it, and we pray to that end. Amen. Amen. Will you do me a favor and thank Randy for spending time with us this morning? At Restoration Church, we continue our our worship and response in three ways every every week, and the first is through reflection. And so I I asked Jared to put this slide back up because I think it's just so practical and helpful, uh, not only on a daily basis, maybe by minute by minute to, to really assess what is controlling me, not just my thoughts, but really that's going to uh, be the driving force of my life in the everyday stuff of life, not just in the spiritual, but in everything that we're doing, what is controlling my mind. And so how is that renewed? And so uh, I thought this slide is just so helpful for us as we think through our, our reflection this morning catching, confessing, claiming, forcing, and repeating. So take a few minutes in this this space and this time to reflect on on Randy's words, on this process of renewing our minds and recentering our our lives on God as the Spirit leads us. We also respond by taking communion each week. And in doing that, what we recognize is that this, this process of renewing your mind, you're involved in it, but it is not dependent upon you, but rather as we take the bread and we dip it into the cup, you're recognizing that you are united with Christ and the Spirit is leading you to do this. And so we're engaged, we're partnering with the Spirit, but He's driving the car. And so there's so much hope in recognizing He's leading this effort. So whether you're going to take communion individually or with your your family or maybe your community this morning, there's one station here, three in the back, and during this next song, take a, a minute to go ahead and respond by taking our lives are better off in his hands than ours. And then lastly, we respond by giving. 
giving is, I actually think, a part of renewing our minds. As we give, we are saying, God, again, you are God and we are not. And as we give, there's this transformation in the heart and mind by recognizing anything we have is not something that we've done to earn. Rather, it's been given as a gift by our gracious Father. And so we want to return that gift and work in our hearts uh, through giving. And so there's instructions on how to do that on the website if you'd like to do that. Or there's two boxes.